Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. And today we're taking you through the best bits of Season 5 so far, 2020. 2020. The best of 2020. Year, cheers. Oh, yeah, cheers. Oh, yeah. Cele- oh, yeah. You know, the, the celebratory clink. Uh, we probably left this a little late in the evening to start recording. We're already <laughs> the burger. The burger has been had. The uh, the traditional dirty burger has been had. We've had a few drinks. We've also had the traditional argument <laughs> about something. <laughs> the traditional big fight uh, offline. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a, it's definitely an annual tradition. Uh, so, well, the 2016, the best of 2016. That was back in Bali. We we're in the hostel room um, after. Uh, I just remember one story which probably doesn't get on the air this early in the episode about the other bloke who was staying in the room with us. Is uh, that me? But that was, no, no, the other bloke who was on the opposite bunk. But that was uh, 2016, 2017. Jesus, I don't even remember that. <laughs> Keep going. We'll talk about it later. I'll find up to you later. We'll bring it to the end of the episode. There's <laughs> a bit of mystery for people hanging around. <laughs> Stay till the end. Uh, 2017, <laughs> that was when we got absolutely sloshed. I was going to work the next day. I got an Uber with you to a bar. And as soon as we got there, I got an Uber straight back home because I couldn't handle it and then munted on the way home. Well, I think I was single at the time and I got to the, I was waiting in line just speaking to some randoms. I got the front of the line, hang on, where's Ash <laughs> I literally, you're gone. The Uber got there, dropped you off and I said, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm going straight back home. So, it was, a, it was an hour and a half journey, 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back and it was, it was messy the next day. Uh, what was 2018? What have we said? We, oh, our, our Johnny Walkers gradually got worse. We started with the top shelf blue and we gradually made our way back through gold, black and then red. And then well, I guess that brings us to now. 2020 has been an absolutely wild year, I guess, for us and for everybody. It certainly has. And I think we're very lucky this year in a sense that we had a bit of COVID because we had that book we launched at the start of – well, we, we started writing at the start of the year. And in January, you know, I went to Lombok, Indonesia, you hung around here and we both worked really hard on it and we thought we were pretty much done. <laughs> we were 95% done at the end of Jan. Well, thank God. I think in any normal <laughs> year, we would have released the book at that stage yeah. because it was COVID. We had a bit of extra time at home and I think everyone listening right now, they probably did have some kind of COVID project because, man, it was one hell of an opportunity just to do those sort of things that you never would normally be able to do. And for us, it's probably taking that book, the original evolution through a few extra evolutions to be, we're thinking something we could be very proud of and yeah, somewhat perennial. Yeah, I think this is what version number four or five that we've done now, but uh, we've been saying for a while that it's coming soon, but I guess we can say that we're at the end of this version, which is good. We've handed off to an editor. We've got some design work going, typesetting's happening um, in early 2021. So, this time when we say it's coming soon, it is actually coming soon. Um, so, we're super excited for that one. So, a couple of quick announcements in a sense to make. Uh, first of all, with advertisements, previously we've done all baked in ads. We've had Blinkist who's been an incredible supporter of us and um, something being we've, we've been really appreciative of and then also 99 Designs for a bit. Been amazing. Yeah, 20, we, got a we, we got a website out of that and the website has gone up 3x to 5x, I'd say, just in quality because before we did it ourselves and it each time we changed the website, it got worse, but now we've got a legit website to be to be proud of. Yeah, and uh, starting early next year, we're actually moving to a network of sorts. And this is essentially that they're, because they've grouped so many podcasts together, they've got a full uh, business development team in a sense compared to us, which is pretty hard as two indie podcasts to just sort all that. So, we're really teaming up with them so we can focus more on the, the value-add kind of stuff for the podcast as opposed to just purely the business development. Yeah, exactly. We don't have to focus on that so we can make better podcasts, better blog posts, better potentially social content and then, well, once we finish, just write more books. I say more books because obviously we nearly finished this one and then on to the next. I guess a quick just for the for the most, uh, the most keen people, I've got our annual downloads. So, 2016, 9,400. 2017 was 108,000, 2018 was 371,000, 2019 was 937,000. We didn't quite crack that mill, but then 2020, we're up to 1.8 mil so far with a, a little bit of time left in 2020. I don't think we'll get to the two mil, but- Let's just uh, call it two mil. <laughs> we'd like to always add a bit of, add a a bit bit of, of buffer. Pepper. Let's say 1.85. <laughs> That's two mil. We made two, two mil downloads this year, mate. We must be proud. Exactly. So, we're obviously- uh, Come a long way from nine and a half thousand downloads in the first year um, to yeah one point eight five or or two mil we can say mm. yeah phenomenal anyway yeah one hell of a ride man and uh, is it time yeah let's get into let's get into uh, what we normally do which is our top tens uh, starting with honourable mention so this is the top tens of twenty twenty but this is from 
July 1st onwards. So the best of season five, you can get the first half of the year. This is the second half of the year best of. My first honourable mention is The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli. I think some listeners will be surprised that it wasn't you dropping this one, right? Because we've branded you as the Machiavellian Mm. dude throughout the years, but for some reason, us reading it, (laughs) it wasn't up your alley (laughs) as much as me. And it's funny because I've always been branded as the moral do-gooder. Yeah. And now I'm the one bringing up Machiavelli. (laughs) Well, I think think the modern interpretation of it, I love. I think the, the crux of the book, I'm still hooked on, but... The actual book itself was an absolute slog to get through. Granted, it was written about 500 years ago. Mm. So, it was written in the 1530s or something like that. So, quite a tough read. I think if if someone did a 2020 uh, version of The Prince, it would probably be my number one. Yeah, I think it's something that really hammers something home that isn't very popular nowadays and you get to kind of tap into a book that's so old and that is like, you know, being nice isn't necessarily being effective and always the most obvious route. One takeaway I really liked is one of the quotes where he says, to have good laws, you must have good arms. And given the year that we've had um, going through coronavirus and lockdowns and everything like that, I think it was really interesting living in Victoria when we had Dan Andrews at the start saying, all right, everyone, you got to stay home in lockdown. There's uh, no one go out, anything like that. And at one stage, everyone was just going out and didn't really give a shit. But as soon as the good arms came in and the serious fines Originally fifteen hundred bucks, rammed up to five grand. Mm. Everyone was way too scared to go out. Everyone complied by the rules. Everyone stayed home and played along. And you'd say that that was a good part of his leadership to bring coronavirus back in check. I like it, Machiavelli. Five hundred years later, still delivering the goods. Uh, one sort of honourable mention slash shout out. We got Pablo Miller. Uh, is a radio uh, host, Triple M in uh, Western Australia. Once a week, we do like a five-minute debrief of the book that we just did. So, his favorite book uh, of this half of the year was Loser Think by Scott Adams. Uh, good book, good good author. Um, it was basically taking the best thinking concepts from 12 different professions. How does an economist think? How does a historian think? How does a designer think? And packaging that into, you know, taking the best bits so everyone can learn to think better. From my from my perspective, I'd say... Uh, <laughs> The, the packaging sounds better than the actual book. Yeah, I totally agree. With <laughs> I think one. if he did, I think he went the other way. He went, okay, what's a whole bunch of shit I want to say and then how can I package it? Mm. If he had started with what's the package and then found the best content, I think it would have been better. Absolutely. Okay, I've got another honorable mention here, uh, The Art of Strategy. I think this is one of those books every now and then we come across, we read and it's actually a pretty shit book. <laughs> we do three or four back and forth, add a bit of our own juice to it and then we, when we actually record, it makes us... It's one of our better episodes. So, mm. sometimes our best episodes aren't necessarily the best books and I think The Art of Strategy is one because we got a bit of bit excited with game theory and added a bit of our own fun examples and it was a pretty good episode in the end. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of books, I must admit, that sometimes we do too good a job. <laughs> it's almost like, well, if you like the sound of this book, uh, we probably did it better than the actual book just in the sense of the way we do it. I did a... Uh, a game theory subject at university and this book uh the art of strategy just felt too much like that it felt like a, uni- a university course it felt very academic very dry game theory sick if there was like a modern version of a game theory book i'd love it but I just this this book didn't get me going mate my other honorable mention i have to get this as an honorable mention what the dog saw by malcolm gladwell it's not in my top 10 uh there was probably two-thirds of the book that we didn't even cover in the episode, potentially more. It was a bit of a cash grab. He just whacked together all of his newspaper articles and sold it as a book. Uh, but I think I definitely worked out the, the Gladwellian storytelling style, the way he did it. Introduces a random story, brings in a second random story, gives you a bit of theory, gives you a new story, and then at the end sort of ties it all together. So I definitely enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. He's got a serious, uh, unique storytelling style which doesn't have much kicker or any meaning or used to it. I think you've got to, you've got to look, read between the lines. I think that's a problem. You just you just want to be handed <laughs> it on a silver platter. But Gladwell just sort of likes to make you work oh, a bit harder. Maybe I reckon we should one day do the uh, top five cash grab books or something. <laughs> something like that. Well, pretty much anything uh, part two, like any follow-up books. I'd say like Freakonomics went massive and then they did Super Freakonomics. Yep. So pretty much anything that's like a follow-up book. I'd throw What the Dog Saw in there. Oh, big time. Guess what else I'd throw in there. Uh, something we've done? Yeah. A cash grab book. Mark Manson, his no. second one? No. Uh, Cal Newport's no, third one? Not no. even close. Really? Can I just drop it? Yeah. Dare to lead. <laughs> <laughs> Brené yeah, Brown, fair. man. Yeah, I think sharing took, greatly, she blatantly she t- um, 
we both love, absolutely love Darren Gray. Oh, yeah. And then she just blatantly just dropped in like 20 pages, said, hey, this is very hmm. relevant to this book now, Darren Greatly. But then also she had her other book, which was, what was the other one? Like The Art of Vulnerability or something. She, it's the she, same she, shit she basically also. took two books, merged them into one. Oh, mate, she's killing it. So good <laughs> on her. She's probably one of the biggest authors out there at the moment, so we can't really talk. Mate, at the start of this episode, we said before we get into it, because um, we've had a few drinks, we probably just like ramble on a bit when we've had a few drinks. And I think yeah. we've I mean, Good rambling, we've but heaps time. of rambling. <laughs> Twelve minutes in, <clears throat> game time. time the, I think time for the top ten. I think we're loading up with uh, your first. Mm. So well, okay. So I think last season we had a lot of crossover, as in the best of uh, season four. We had a lot of crossover, and I'd say probably my top seven of that was probably the strongest top seven ever. And these, uh, I think, um, I think my top one would get into inside that top seven. My number two would be in that eight to ten range, and then. My three through ten wouldn't be as strong, but that's just uh, that's just I guess how how it rolled this time because the first half of this year was so strong, uh, and this time we've gone even further apart in that I think we've only got like two or three crossovers. Mm. So your number ten is coming later in my list. My number ten, pitch anything by Oren Claff. It was all about uh, all about pitching. Oren Claff he built himself as the the master pitcher. He was the ultimate pitcher. Anyone who wants to make a big pitch, come to Oren because he's the man. It's one of those things that none of us put any of our attention and effort into learning, but loads of high leverage in terms of a skill putting into your skill stack, as Scott Adams would say, because um, you know some people, our default mode of pitching is just absolutely shit ass. Mm. We'll put a slide deck together after a one-hour meeting. And then we'll just bore people into sleep and they don't want to have anything to do with this. Yeah, the worst thing is you think of that slide deck where you've got size 8 font where you've got the whole speech is written on that slide and you just read it out word for word. Uh, as you say, everyone's getting put to sleep. There's no energy in that. There's no tension in that. There's no feeling of I want to get in on this. Mm, yeah, and compare that to what, 1953, you got James Watson, Francis Crick. They... Came up with a new discovery, which is the double helix DNA structure, the so-called secret of life. All they did is they put a five-minute pitch together and they won the Nobel Prize. Well, if you think about that, if they can explain the secret of life, DNA, this key discovery, the, one of the biggest discoveries of the 20th century, potentially ever, uh, understanding what DNA is, and they could explain DNA in five minutes. Mm. And then you've got this brand new... Um, brand new revolutionary company which is basically like uh facebook 2.0 which you think is just this absolute revelation but really it's just a carbon copy of something else and you're spending it a one hour or an hour and a half pitch going through every single element of it uh yeah you're losing that pitch 100 percent, man so number nine for me 10 for me coming later so nine future is the faster than you think so by peter diamandis and big steve kotler uh, great book. They've got a great trilogy. I think we're going to get to bold and abundance soon and future is a faster... Something along those lines. But I think we're in a very exciting time, right? Like 2020 now, the acceleration of technology and they're all converging upon each other and it's a really exciting time in history with all sorts of new things accelerating everything, which is like abundance of technology, abundance of geniuses, everything like that. And on top of that, you've got the technology. You've got... AI, robotics, virtual reality, 3D printing, material science and nanotechnology, which they break down in very minute detail to really sell you on the idea that we are in a wild time right now and it's an ultimate time to be someone, somewhat of an entrepreneur who's like tapping into these innovations. Yeah, I agree. I think this book for me was like the very similar to Kevin Kelly's The Inevitable and I think I preferred Kevin Kelly's. Kevin Kelly's was on like the 30-year time horizon. This is like on the three to five-year time horizon. Um, so we'll find out very quickly if these guys are right or if they're way off. And hopefully they're right because they're super optimistic about what's to come, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so that was your number nine. My number nine, which I honestly can't believe this isn't in your top ten. Um, you had a very strong top 10. That, well, for, uh, me, for me, my top 10 was extremely strong and I kind of knew you'd drop this in there. So, I kind of maneuvered, <laughs> maneuvered Damn, my I top 10 knowing that. Good game theory. I should have uh, theory. put this as an honorable mention. Then what would you have done? You would have had to kick Mate, something Any other out. season, I wouldn't have done it because we <laughs> learned about game theory. <laughs> i play good. the game, baby. Well, my number nine is uh, probably one of your favorite authors, if, uh, if that's okay to say, is Nassim Taleb, Fooled by Randomness. And uh, obviously, we've done the Black Swan, we've done Anti-Fragile, 
uh, by Nassim Taleb and now we've done full by randomness. I really like his idea about uh, survivorship bias. It's something that everybody talks about in a whole bunch of other books, but it was good to go back to Nassim's version and basically says if you put a bunch of monkeys uh, in front of a typewriter, they tap away on the keyboard and one of them pops out, you know, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, that's a pretty incredible monkey. Mm. But what you got to think about is, well, how many monkeys were there to begin with? If there was... Five monkeys, that monkey is an absolute genius. If there were, you know, 40 billion monkeys, uh, then just by random chance, one of them would have accidentally got the right of the 26 characters in the right order to pop out Harry Potter. Mm. So, you've got to look at that. How many people did you start off with uh, and how many of those actually ended up succeeding in the end? Which is a phenomenal segue. Bring that into the real world example. Say if you've got, you know, 10 million entrepreneurs, uh, 9.99 million of them, Gonna fail. They're living back on their mum's couch eating two minute noodles. Never hear about them. You just <laughs> see them at the pub and they're the biggest failure you'll ever meet. But that one so called monkey, using that analogy, who types the um, you know, the midnight sonata on that typewriter who gets super <laughs> lucky, we start calling that's a absolute genius. And in mm. this case, it could be an entrepreneur like your Steve Jobs. Or as painful as I that. say, Elon Musk. <laughs> but no, Elon Musk is all uh, is is known that. But yeah, this is what I was saying about the segue, mate. Because number yeah. eight for both of us is the man Steve Jobs. Yeah, and we've essentially got the person who's writing this narrative fallacy, <laughs> <laughs> which we were just critiquing. <laughs> well, I must admit, I had uh, another part of game theory originally. Full by randomness was number eight, and Steve Jobs was number nine. But I did a late switch, so both of our number eights, the only time we sync up in this list is Steve Jobs. I must admit, I was a bit surprised. I, was, I looked at this 600-page biography, and I was not looking forward to it at all. But whether that was the subject, just because Steve Jobs is so interesting, whether it was the writer, because Walter Isaacson did a phenomenal job, but I really enjoyed this book. It was like a, I was pretty captivated, I must admit. Yeah, I feel like we were getting into a bit of the Steve Jobs brain, and I think if something was like instilled on me during it, it was probably a, a bigger appreciation of design Mm. This I've never really had in the past because he was absolutely obsessed with design and, and simplicity as and well. And simplicity yeah. is something probably both of us have really sucked at. And I think the website we did this year, we <laughs> used to have the opposite of Steve Jobs effect. We both went down the path, right? Like simplicity is the ultimate mm. sophistication, which is one of his quotes or some other dude's quote. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Steve Jobs is when I really enjoyed that. So number seven for me, one of those books that I really liked, but... You, you obviously didn't like it all. <laughs> it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, correct. But anyway, the, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. So I think we both agree that a lot of the teams we work in, um, these dysfunctions translate absolutely perfectly to all the dysfunctions we have and within teams. And it would be a huge uh, asset, I guess, if everybody understood this and um, started with the bottom of the pyramid, which also which always b- begins with the absence of trust, which people have in, in teams. And then absence of trust, that manifests into fear of conflict. And if you've got fear of conflict, then you're not going to talk um, in a candid way to your colleague and tell them the truth and have this conversation where you're going to really be both in the search of the truth. You may be a bit more political, a bit scared of each other and actually not go after that. Yeah, we had a good bit of conflict before we started recording. I don't know if we got to any actual resolution in the end. I thought we but, did, mate. Okay. <laughs> but, we're, right. but we're always happy for that. <laughs> I think people have started episode like how easily we speak about conflict, but I think we both see that as a real asset and understand that conflict is so bloody important because we've both been in jobs where everyone's just too scared of each mm. other to tell the bloody truth oh, big that um, everyone's just happy with mediocre results because of that. Yeah, big time. After, if, you've, if you've got over your fear of conflict, the next dysfunction that comes is the lack of commitment. Obviously, people say, yeah, I'm aligned, but they never actually commit. Uh, the next dysfunction is the avoidance of accountability. And then the final dysfunction is an inattention to results. So, I must admit, the five dysfunctions, he absolutely, absolutely bloody nailed. If this was a, uh, you know, a thousand-word blog post, I would say this is, he's absolutely uh, nailed this one 100%. My uh, criticism of the book was like the 200-page made-up fable that went along with it to explain it, which just did not get me going whatsoever. Yeah, I totally disagree with that. I thought there's a lot of nuance when it comes to teamwork that can't be captured in the like the 2,000-word the is mm. um, banger-only. And there was just like, you know, simple things in the story which could only be picked up in the story. It's like, I forget the names in the book, man, but like, you know, Joey in the meeting, <laughs> he like looked away when the, when the boss, Catherine, laid down the law. 
And I think like that story element was really important to get this point across. It just felt so cringy to me. Yeah, it was cringe. I don't know. I with the cringiness and wankiness. Mate, but, you, always, um, you always hang shit on uh, the Harry Potter effect. But, mate, this was literally Harry Potter. It was, a, yeah. it was fiction. <laughs> yeah, it was fiction. We got a bit of a kicker. Okay, anyway, my, num- my number seven, uh, Jim Collins, Built to Last. Now, this, this book... Um, I guess I guess the book uh, it was written like 25 years ago, and now the lessons from that book sound very very obvious. So I'm not too sure if 25 years ago if these were revolutionary or if they were obvious as they seem now. But I thought from that perspective, I thought uh, these lessons are pretty bang on. I guess similar to the dysfunctions, you said that dysfunctions are pretty bang on. I'd say these business lessons are pretty bang on. Bang on. Extremely simple and very translatable to just your personal life. Mm. If you read any personal development books, I think the exact same principles apply to big, small, and medium business. Mate, I think we should come clean. I've had a few drinks, but um, <laughs> we were trying to land Jim Collins for an interview, still pending. Hopefully, the assistant's not listening now, but we added a bit of salt and pepper on our ratings on the website, just said the Perhaps book's sure, better bit. than uh, an extra two or three ratings, and probably you've put in the top I 10. That, I think they're still letting us. Hang on. Should we cut this out? <laughs> well, I guess, well, in all honesty, some of my favorites, I did love the analogy that the clock building versus the time telling, like... Uh, to tell the time once is good, but if you can build a clock, then obviously you can tell the time forever and ever. So it's really about that building that company as opposed to just having that one-off innovation. So I did like that analogy, and as you said, it applies to business, applies to a whole lot of things in life as well. But admittedly, a little bit of salt and pepper. <laughs> and, anyway, uh, anyway, if the assistants listening, we absolutely love Jim Collins. <laughs> We're absolutely in love with him. So yeah, most definitely, most definitely. On. Number six, mate. Uh, ordinary men for me. Christopher Browning, very, very interesting, very probably the darkest book we've ever come across by some serious margin. And it, you haven't listened yet. Um, it comes at the height of the Second World War. You've got the Germans there, big dog Hitler. I say big dog in the derogatory sense in this case. <laughs> we sometimes <laughs> no, use it the other way. Thing, yeah. But, uh, you know, he's got a war to the east. He's trying to fight England and later the US. He's also trying to fight Russia. He's also trying to do the final solution with the Jews within Europe. Huge scope. And the only way he could do it is not use the soldiers who are already people who are motivated killers. You needed to tap into your local populace. You sue the school teacher, Joey the... Joey again. <laughs> is that the, the same butcher. Joey from uh, the Five Dysfunctions? Or yeah, same Joey. <laughs> same Joey. He's a butcher now and he's also trying to do, <laughs> do some rank shit. member of the army. But anyway, it just shows how they stepped from just being a normal person all the way down to the most brutal bullshit mm. you'll ever come across. We even got a policeman here, right? Like He came up with some rationalization. Should I drop it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a good rationalization. But I think the way to read this book is to put yourself as if you're any human being who could take these same steps. Mm. Anyway, this bloke is a 35-year-old dude. He says, I made the effort to shoot <laughs> only children. It so happened that the mother let the children by hand. So because the other bloke, the neighbor shot the the mother, then he shot the child just because he didn't want the child to be without a mother. Mm. So really dark, dark shit. <laughs> but obviously, you don't dark. read this for just the sake of the Harry Potter effect. You read it because you want to learn a bit about human nature and, and the lowest of lows that mm. humans can stoop to and then... Hopefully, by learning through about that through history, you can find ways where you don't need to go that low. Well, it's easier to say, oh, that's just, they did that, but I could never do that. But the whole point of this book is that, well, really, anyone could have done that. Put in that situation, all ordinary men and ordinary women from all walks of life all did those heinous acts. So, it's, it was looking at what are the types of things that get people to that point. Um, yeah, and I think like all of us, if you really look at our lives objectively, we all rationalize bullshit mm. to some extent. If you're really honest with ourselves, like we're not perfect. We all we all do it. And a big one in this is career. Like a lot of people, once money's on the table, they will compromise on values, not realizing that they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's almost like um, <clears throat> I think it was Annie Duke in Thinking in Bets. She said that like the smarter you are, the worse it is. So uh, you might think, oh, I'm so smart. I would never drop to those levels. I'd never be shooting children in the middle of the war. But she actually said the smarter you are, the more you can find – made up fucking bullshit rationalizations yeah. through the most motivated shit. reasoning yeah so my number six uh was the defining decade by meg J. uh and i think pretty irrelevant to me now that 
Still good for you. <laughs> As a 30-year-old, mate, you're out of the scope of this book. Uh, it was about your 20s, really. Uh, she then sort of reframed it to say, well, the defining decade is like your first 10 years out of university. So she got herself an extra few years, but... But really, I think that was just a good marketing spiel. But I think it was uh, not so much the advice because the advice was quite standard, I guess, personal development, career sort of advice, a lot of mm. shit that we'd heard before. But I think it was just the idea of like intentionality. She was talking about one story of uh, a uh, young lady who was working in a bar, but then she wanted to work in law. She'd hit 28. And so Meg was just saying, well, okay, so if you want to work in law, so it's going to be like four or five years at uni plus another couple of years studying to get to the bar, so that puts you at 35. You know, well, she said, well, I also want to have kids. So, well, if you take a year off or two years off to have kids, that adds an extra couple of years. So, you're basically 37 and you're at an entry-level job. So, it was just sort of like all these Mm. things, the timelines just didn't add up. Uh, And I think the main takeaway for me was just thinking, you know, long-term. At the moment, it seems, you know, you're too busy for all the serious stuff, we can put that off to the future. But thinking that you're going to be less busy later is ridiculous. Like now mm. we think we're busy, but in another five years, we're going to be have a, a more serious job or more serious commitments. It's sort of like the older you get, the busier you get. So mm. you may as well pull the trigger now and start doing some, some real world shit. Absolutely, man. And that was a pretty good spiel you did. But I was waiting for something because we've both <laughs> got the notes right now in front of us. The very bottom, I'm reading right now. I haven't read this Hey, what's this? Note for AA, bus throw of AJ <laughs> for season three and season four. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> <I'm> over- <laughs> Where did you copy this from? I don't know. <laughs> That's from the notes. Oh. I didn't put this in. <laughs> you brought this back in. Okay, so that was from the original <laughs> episode. Do you oh, remember? Oh, definitely. What definitely. was it about? Just kidding. Okay, so you, I, well, I think we said it in the episode. So basically your season three, you read The Black Swan. Oh, okay. And so then you're like serendipity and then you read Anti-Fragile and you talked about tinkering and optionality. So for me, it was like I read this book and it was going to be intentionality. So for about four oh, episodes in a row, yeah, I was talking yeah. about intentionality. Well, you're still on the intentionality spiels, which is well, good. Well, yeah, mate. Well, I think I think you do have to get intentional. It's, I think the, the point of the book for me wasn't to think about how do you get a good career and how do you get a good relationship, blah, blah, blah. It was more about just intentionally how do you plan this shit how do you actually take it seriously not just put it off for the future yeah number five for me is the selfish gene i'd say this and probably steve jobs is the most effort probably oh Man, actually now my own brain step. goes thinking fast and slow was Man, uh, let me go sorry let me go back one step just to drop this on you okay. i was going to drop it over the burger but i thought oh maybe i'll save it for the episode mate i think we had this conversation uh, it could have been end of I remember we went to it was South Bank and it was we had a uh, TGI Fridays ridiculous burger was it an end of year could have been end of year an end of season or something anyway mate we talked about you know we've both been with the girlfriends for a while when are we going to start to get serious mate that time could be coming soon it could be ring time very very soon and the the good news is she uh, doesn't listen to the podcast so so she won't know <laughs> so anyway I drop I thought I'd drop that in as part of the defining decade spiel. As part of the fuck, could be could be ring time soon. Fallison. Yeah. Oh, phenomenal, <laughs> mate. So anyway, that was just I thought I'd drop that in before we move on to, and then we can move on to selfish gene. Well, that's exciting. Are you going to drop it now? Are you going to just like say this is going to be the big thing in the ep- this episode? Oh well, no, that's I'm fucking gonna, insane. I'm not going to drop it now. That's <laughs> some big shit. But I won't say. Oh, hey, listen to our best of episode. Mate, and that's at least opening this shit. episode. <laughs> Or no. you brought it up as if it's just like a fucking nothing. <laughs> it's just a little throwaway. Dude, that's fucking insane. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, anyway, twenty uh, the first half of twenty twenty one could be a bit busy, but yeah. Jesus <laughs> Christ, I'm sure she's got some friends who's gonna listen to this. You've had a fucking <laughs> you, you had a week to just get on that knee, man. <laughs> no, nah, I think I, I think I, hopefully that should be all right. We're, we're what 30, 30 odd drunk minutes into a best of episode. She's not listening to this. Jesus Christ, man. How do I get onto this next one? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big deal. All right, anyway. We'll, <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Selfish gene. All right, selfish gene. Anyway, this was the, yeah, the most, one of the most effort I've put into an episode, mainly because I think Richard Dawkins, is like, it's a beast of a mm. book, very, very difficult to distill into a one-hour episode we had and then almost impossible to distill mm. into this. Now, can we, <laughs> into like, a one-paragraph spiel, yeah. But he's... Literally, literary skill, struggling with that word at the moment, but to actually talk about how things evolved in evolution. I think we've all got a basic understanding of what evolution mm. is. Mm. He does take you from that 4 out of 10 level to a 7 out of 10 mm. level. When he talks about the replicator and how things out of nothing 
um, given you know billions of years time, certain attributes do stay around, right? And in this case, it was longevity, speed of replication, mm. accuracy of replication. And just for the sake of just putting a whole bunch of shit into just one paragraph, which no one's going to get without reading the book. But uh, memes, man, I think memes. <laughs> I think I think these... that <laughs> Just fucking memes. I think that's gone like season one level explaining concepts, right? Just memes, man, just memes. But uh, th- those is like a, a metaphor to explain as a marketing analogy, right? Like, I think if you just land back on those mm. three attributes longevity, speed of replication and accuracy of how you repeat it can be explained mm. as a really powerful marketing thing. I really liked how he did like, man, how much more complicated can you get than evolution? It was pretty complicated but then he broke it down into like these metaphors. He was talking about something, I forget it exactly but you know like the, there's the whole library of possibilities and then you pick one book and out of that one book it, it, it boiled down to one page and then it's like the genes of that one page is one single word on that one page. It's like he had this ultimate metaphor of describing, um, describing evolution in such a relatable, easy to understand way. Cass mm. okay, and my number five, man. Let's move to your number five. Mate, my number five was The First 20 Hours by Josh Kaufman. Um, and now the book was like the first 30 pages was how to pick up a new skill and then the next 200 pages was just like his personal stories of skills that he'd picked up. But I liked it. He had, uh, again, this is probably one where we did a better job. He had like 10 steps to learning a new skill plus then 20 additional steps to getting better at it and we just boiled it down to our own five steps which I think was a pretty good five steps. So basically, if you want to learn anything, one, choose a lovable project. Two, to find success, set a goal before you begin. Three, research and plan the best way to get there. Four, eliminate barriers, five, practice. Uh, obviously, that was like you know a 10-second version mm-hmm. of the 25-minute episode of the 200-page book, but I think it's a pretty... Learning skills is pretty important. Absolutely. Oh, mate, I've just had the best realization ever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's approaching the end of the year. I always like write my goals for the next year mm-hmm. toward the end of the year. Um, there's a few skills I want to learn. Mm. For some reason, I thought it was the first 40 hours. And I wrote in my goal setting, right, do 40 hours of this. Hey, you just saved yourself 20 hours. I saved myself 20 hours. I don't have to do 40. I just honestly. have to do 20. Anyway, Mate, what, skill, are you, what are your skills? What are your skills you're going to learn? Well, there's two actually. One's quite similar to what you've done. I'd say as a structural engineer, mm. um, if there was one skill that's got uh, 10% of learning this has 90% leverage, it's actually drawing. Mm. Engineering oh, yeah. drawing sketches of really? structural design, architect. Well, just to like communicate ideas yeah. simply. Yeah, Architects nice. absolutely froth about it. A lot of engineers will spend a lot of time doing fancy math behind the scenes mm. no one sees. But if you can get a developer in the room or an architect and you're trying to sell mm. them an idea. They don't give a fuck about the numbers. They don't. And you can yeah. just sketch it in front of them. Oh. That's exactly that's their reaction. Oh. <laughs> so that's one. Mate, have you, have you read The Back of the Napkin by Dan Rome? No, but I this think, check I, I think, yeah, I think I'm not getting that. Uh, that's number one skill. The other one's actually grasshopper. So we we're talking about this dinner earlier, but um, you know, like uh, I've dropped this before. Like in construction, you do every design once, but sooner or later it's gonna be like you design a car. You design the car once, and then you just roll that out mm. a, a million times, um, and using uh, algorithms to do design as well. So grasshopper, very basic shit. What's so, grasshopper? Oh yeah, keep dropping grasshopper as if everyone's meant to know it. <laughs> but you're designing. The, uh, the the algorithm to design the building as opposed Oof. to design the building. Oof. So then you hand yeah, that nice. design to an architect, architect changes the pitch by three degrees of the roof or something. Mm-hmm. All computations flow through, um, no costly variations for three mm-hmm. weeks later. It's done on the spot. But I think that's where the future's going in that. So yeah, it's one, two skills. I think they've got highest leverage that to add to the skill stack that um, mm, I like that. add a bit of scarcity. And you've just gone from 2 times 40 to 2 times 20, so you've actually saved yourself 40 hours. Yeah, mate, it's just a week. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, I think, the, so I think the, the framework he gave was, was pretty solid. Just the point is that, okay, when you start anything new, you're going to be shit house. There's no, no avoiding that. When you first start to play the violin, it sounds like a cat drowning. And when you first start to draw, it looks like a, a three-year-old's drawing it. But basically that frustration barrier of being really shit at something is – is pretty much 20 hours. If you can put in 20 solid hours really quickly to get to the point where you're actually decent at it, it starts to get easier after that. So I think that's just, just even that idea, just put in 20 hours is, is a good idea. Yeah, it's an easy sale, man. Uh, okay, number four for me again. We're going for... No, no, five was... Well, first 20 hours for me. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> five was... Uh, yeah, lost connections for me. 
Mm. Quite an interesting book. Was this anywhere in yours? Uh, not in my top 10. And it's good shit. My, my criticism was like it's, it's very uh, standard self-help personal development stuff. You know, get a good job, have good friends, work hard, build your status. Um, it's just in a different wrapper. But it was good. It was a good wrapper, no I doubt think, about yeah, it. Yeah, I think the wrap is really important because, mm. which is very common now. You're feeling upset, anxiety, depressed. Always you preface with this stuff. We're saying, look, we're not psychologists. We know jack shit about yeah. antidepressants and stuff like that. But I think the default setting in our society is that the solution is an antidepressant, and this does give you a different story. Like, look, mm. you know, that's one option. But before you go that, and you're paying big farmer all your money for the rest of your life. Just have a look at these some of these natural antidepressants. Like they are some kind of pretty basic personal development shit. But there's a lot of research behind to say, right, this is actually something that's going mm. to remove your depression as opposed to the other stuff. Now I was I was just listening to uh, an episode of the Jordan Harbinger show before this. So there's a free plug for Jordan. Uh, and it was about dodgy science and it was about as so as you know, the tobacco industry funded all these studies to say tobacco isn't bad for you. And then they all moved on to um, I think it was Johnson and Johnson, one of the built to last companies that uh, this baby powder that had some dodgy asbestos like material in it that was screwing up a lot of kids. They just had to get two scientists to come and say, oh, no, these studies aren't relevant. And they presented the other idea. And just that little bit of uncertainty was all it needed. So I think basically it's like this big pharma. They've got a couple of scientists. They've spun up the story. And the story is there's this dodgy brain chemistry. And the solution to this story is buy our pills. Mm. And so just that idea alone is like that's, that's one perspective. Um, and for a lot of people, it really does help. Um, but this book broke down the some of the more statistics behind it and just an alternative approach. So yeah. it's almost like, hey, if, you, if you're going to go down that path, maybe that might be the solution for you. Before you try that, maybe try this instead. Man, I might just quickly reel out in the nine because I think they're important. Number one, disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from others. So, you know, having good friends, mm. disconnection from meaningful values. If you're out there just to go and buy the latest shit rather than uh, have intrinsic values, then that's going to cause depression. Disconnection from status, childhood trauma, disconnection from nature. So going out in nature, climbing the trees, hanging out with the trees and <laughs> climbing the trees. <laughs> that making sense. Uh, seven, <laughs> disconnection from secure and hopeful future. Eight, genes. So there is some genetic Definitely. factor, but it's not the only story. And number nine, changes in the brain. We've got neuroplasticity. Everything can change. And I think if you add a bit of stoicism in there, if we just add another 10, <laughs> obstacle is the way. Changing your perception of – so this is not them. This is me on the fly. Yeah. But I think you'd agree though. Oh, definitely. Changing your perception of what a, uh, a problem is in your life as an absolute opportunity as opposed to being something that's going to take you out helps as well. And then the peek behind the curtain is that was part of our fight before was I was doing – I wanted to do too many stoicism books in the next six months. Yeah. But I'll also give that uh, a shout-out to Kay Ashton, my mom. I called her this afternoon – and said, hey, we're recording our best of. What was your favorite? Because I think the first two and a half years, she didn't listen to us. But once we started getting downloads, she jumped on the bandwagon. She's listened to every episode since. But she said her favorite was Lost Connections just okay. because it was you know, some good good uh, life advice in this nice package that, hey, everything's pretty tough and that it seems like there's this only the only solution is to um, go the big farmer route. But this just offers a, a different perspective. Mm. So there we go. Okay, so that was your number four, Lost Connections by Johan Hari. My number four is Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith. And this was the, I guess, the first marketing book we did specifically about services. And the research is that about 80, 81% of people work in service companies. And there's not really a whole lot of books that are about marketing services. And of course, that other 19 to 20% of people who work in product companies they're sort of shifting towards services. Mm. If you buy a car, you're also buying the maintenance service ongoing. If you're buying a coffee or a beer, you're also buying the customer service and the friendly chats that come with it. So pretty much everyone's in services. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I think like when you talk about marketing, everyone just assumes it's always about product marketing. Mm. And this, yeah, puts you down the other end of the spectrum saying, look, you think it's a product, but it's services. And uh, a lot of it just gives you really interesting strategies with service marketing, things like costing, how to price yourself or using anchoring and different mm. heuristics and biases to help you out. I think the biggest one was that when you're selling a service, you're not really selling that service because whatever that service is, if it's a, a lawyer fighting a case or an accountant doing a tax return or a marketer doing a marketing campaign, whatever that is, the service is one part that the customer knows absolutely nothing about. So their only proxy for buying off you 
is the relationship that comes with it. Mm. I think we probably fell into this a little bit as well. You know, uh, we said at the top about the book, we've hired an editor, we've hired a designer, we've hired a typesetter. All of these are services that we've got absolutely stuff all idea about. And we, I guess we picked the person that had the best relationship, the one that sounded the best, um, <laughs> which I think is like a, it makes sense, yeah. So basically, if you're, if you're trying to sell a service, improve your relationships. Yeah, it is. Uh, in a sense, it's unfortunate. You risk it was- <laughs> You'd hope it would be like the most confident person, but it's just the one you just kind of get along with, right? Yeah, exactly. And like especially when you're an accountant or or whatever you might be doing, you think becoming the most technically proficient mm. person is the only thing that matters and all that matters and you, I probably was brought up on that idea. But then really when you look at it, all it comes down to is sometimes just going to the pub on the Friday, having a <laughs> yeah. few beers with the potential client and if you just get along with them, they're probably going to hire you mm. compared to if you're extremely good at what you do and you're a bit of a bit of a weirdo to them. <laughs> <laughs> Creep yeah, exactly. me out a bit. They're not going to go with you. <laughs> exactly. So, I thought that was a, I thought that was a winner. It was about 20 years old, that book, but I think it's still relevant, potentially more relevant today than it was 20 years ago. Number three for me was being mortal and something that I think I said at the time as well, it's like extremely relevant to every single person at some stage mm. and the second part is pretty relevant because it's not important at all <laughs> for pretty much everyone their whole entire life but it will <laughs> be important at some stage because everyone obviously dies mm. and we've covered yeah. that in different ways with stoicism and everything <laughs> like that <laughs> but this goes from a different angle it's like how do you actually handle mm. those last moments because at the very end right it's if you've got people who love you your default setting is right, I'm going to fight for mm. everything just so my kids my partner my family, they don't, I don't want to see have them someone dead. Mm. But sometimes that is irrational and sometimes actually admitting defeat mm. is the best thing to do uh, which actually has a less uh, likelihood of depression for all your family. It also ironically means you're going to live longer because you're not doing yeah. unnecessary surgery. So I think having that in the back of your mind, if either of me or you, hopefully we don't have to, or anyone we love comes to this moment mm. at least you're prepared with this other interpretation about how to handle these moments yeah. it's an interesting one because obviously like i think most people you want to keep fighting yeah you want to squeeze out every last moment you can uh and take you know that the surgery that's got a a 10 failure but there's a 90 chance that it could work out and things could get better is that worth it if it goes the other way what if there's a 90 chance of failure but there's a 10 chance you live for another 10 years what's the upside and what's the downside should you keep fighting should you throw in the towel it's i think it'd be so tough to pick um at that time i guess mm. one one person one is my uh I'm super lucky all four grandparents still alive one grandfather who 20 years ago uh, came down to the hospital, was diagnosed with uh, a blood cancer and said, hey, you've got six months to live. 20 years later, he's still kicking. But So it's sort of like, well, should he have thrown in the towel at that time and just copped the six months? Should he have kept fighting? Should he give up now? Should he have given up halfway through? It's, I don't know how you'd ever possibly choose, but I think reading a book like this gives you a good insight of both sides, not just mm-hmm. fight forever, but gives you the other option as well. Well, there probably is, like, is intervention bias a thing. I get, yeah, we can make it a thing, yeah. Well, let's make it a thing. There's two choices, doing something or doing nothing. Mm. In those instances, we always just resort to doing something when yeah. actually just doing nothing and write it out is actually could be a better option. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, there was actually, a, we got a message from a, a listener in Sydney called Zoe. She was asking us about this intervention bias. This could have been the one. I'll message her after this and say, listen to being mortal. She was talking about, you know, soccer goalies that... that they always want to take some kind of action. You want to jump to the left or jump to the right. You don't want to be the idiot who just stands in the middle um, and misses the ball entirely. And you always want to do something. So I guess that that's a good metaphor for you. you want to have that one extra surgery or take that one extra injection to try to to try to get yourself through. Now, number three, man, Humankind by Rutger Bregman. Thanks to Owen and uh, and Wade. Wade, yeah, yeah, Wade, yeah. That was a good recommendation. Big Very good recommendations. On Fitzpatrick. We've we just done, uh, obviously, Laws of Human Nature is one of our favorites and Influence is one of our favorites and they play on these ideas of the Philip Zimbardo studies and the Stanley Milgram studies. And then we went through that dark realm of books about collapse, about the collapse of civilizations, about the selfish gene, about being selfish, about ordinary men, how ordinary people can just do this wild shit. And the prince. And the prince, which so is just a, all like, about dogging. We, oh, <laughs> it's, it's dark period. Well, we kicked the season off with a very dark, <laughs> very dark stretch. Like, you know, well, three out of the first eight were those three dark books. Yeah. And I, I must have been going through a pretty dark period because <laughs> I chose all those books. And, and then we caught up with Owen 
um, from yeah. Ireland. What's his podcast called again? Changing, Changing Minds. Changing Minds. Great yeah. podcast. Just to give him a shout out because he's a superstar. Check out his TED Talk. Oh, right? one of the best TED Talks One of the best seen. TED Talks you'll ever see. Purple Cow, big time. Absolutely. But anyway, he we caught up with him and he said, come Rich, on, guys. Humankind. humankind. <laughs> Balance it out. Balance it out a bit. <laughs> and we did. Which is good. And we're so happy. Yeah, exactly. So basically, uh, Rutger Bregman, he, he literally called out the books like The Prince and Collapse and, and all these books that said, hey, that's just one side. There's, he poked a few holes in their argument. He also then tore to shreds the Zimbardo study, how it was basically a hoax. He tore to shreds the Stanley Milgram study where basically no one believed it. He tore to shreds the Kitty Genovese murder, which is that one we've talked about, how middle of New York, 37, 38 people, they heard her screams for help and nobody helped her. We didn't cover that in the app, but basically he had the, there was a whole bunch of reasons as to why those 38 people didn't help. And really when you, when you boil it down, if you get rid of those couple of big studies, it actually looks okay for humans. We're actually pretty good. Deep down, most people want to help each other. Yeah, with all the other books and those studies, let's just say you've got two planets on the table. You're the first planet uh, in planet A and say if there's a big plane going down and crashing and how everybody reacts on this planet everyone just turns to their neighbors ask if they're okay those who need assistance you help them out you let other people to the the front of the plane first compared to planet b where everyone is left to just fend for themselves <laughs> there's a mad rush to the exit um if there's someone a little kid there sitting trying to just like crawl his way because there's a three-year-old to the exit you don't give a shit about him. <laughs> just stomp on the you head, stomp on, on, the his head on the way out. You just jump out. You steal his parachute. You just get <laughs> the fuck out of there. Everyone thinks we're on the first. Everyone thinks, sorry, we're on the second planet, yeah, right? that's it. But I think uh, reality really says we're on the planet A. Like if you look at the headlines of coronavirus, mm. all around the world it sh- just showed the, the people stealing toilet paper from grandmas <laughs> and um, pushing everyone out of the way. And which, yes, there was like 2% of the population doing that stuff, but- at the end of the day, most people were pretty good about it. They did the social mm. distancing. They uh, put the masks on. Most of the time, it wasn't for themselves. It was actually for other people and and getting you know a, a team effort. Exactly. So that was a good a good balancer. Just to say that we've read all these books about how fucked up humans are and how dark we can all be. And in, in when times get tough, we start to just turn on each other and do whatever we can to get ahead. This was just a good balancer to say. Actually, no, when times get tough, it sometimes brings out the best in us. So, that was just a nice little positive, <laughs> a positive mm. spin on that. Number two now, and it's your one, Ash, Joe, here. We've got uh, Tiny Habits by Big BJ. Yeah, Big <laughs> BJ Fog. So, uh, we'd read uh, Mini Habits, Atomic Habits, The Power of Habit. Mate, I thought we were all habited out, but I really like Tiny Habits, potentially one of the best of the lot. Uh, and uh, all those other books we talked about, especially Mini Habits and Atomic Habits, borrowed the studies and research from BJ Fogg uh, and took his, his model. So, the Fogg behavior model is saying that any behavior boils down to three factors, motivation, ability, and prompt. So, basically, if you, if you want to do something and you're able to do something and you're prompted to do something, you're probably going to do it. And then if there's any behavior that you want to do but don't do, one of those three things is missing. Either you didn't really want to do it, it was too hard to do, or there was no trigger to prompt you to do it. Yeah, and it's it's very simple. Whenever you want to do something, I think being, you know, first of all, being conscious of what you're trying to do, whatever behavior you're trying to get into, and that's probably like linked to goal setting and stuff like that. But after that, yeah, scroll through motivation, ability, and prompt. Can you give us an example on the fly? Uh, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> of course. Can of course you? I can. Yeah, okay. So let's say. Uh, let's say uh, no more booze. Let's say, let, yeah, okay. So no more. What? Hang on. So you don't want to drink alcohol? Or you want, don't want to drink alcohol and you end up drinking alcohol? Losing weight. Losing weight. <laughs> okay, well, let's say losing weight. Okay, so to lose weight, uh, you want to uh, go for a run. Okay, so go for a run. The motivation, is the motivation there? Is yeah, Have you got some reason driving it? Do you want to just lose weight for the sake of losing weight? Or have you got some goal in mind? Do you want to lose weight? Uh, the personal example is my brother's getting married in about a month. So, there's probably a bit of motivation to lose weight to look good in a suit on that day. Uh, or maybe whatever your motivation to lose weight is. If you've got some kind of motivation that's going to help you go for a run more. Uh, ability, Do you, have you got the right shoes? Have you got the right clothes? Uh, how far can you run? Have you trained up to be able to run safely and not injure yourself? is the ability and then of course the prompt is uh, what triggers you to think it's time to go for a run. If you're Mm -hmm. just waiting for your brain to tell you to go for a run, it's probably never going to. If you set an alarm or if you say that uh, 
every time after you eat breakfast, you're going to go for a, a run, whatever that prompt is, it's going to motivate you to go. It's going to prompt you to go for that run. I think that is a very good segue, mate, to number one for me. Uh, my book of the season, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, because for me, it changed the biggest behavior, a huge change of behavior for me. Um, I put it in this little similar category of people who have been listening for a while. Alan Carr, his way to stop smoking, not smoking out of the park for me after that was alcohol for a good period of time. This goes in the same category. <laughs> Obviously, just after tonight, probably yeah. <laughs> we can't claim that anymore. Bit of a hypocrite on nights like tonight. <laughs> but look at that. Behavior equals motivation, ability, and prompt. This took my ability level from a 1 out of 10 mm. probably to a 10 out of 10. Once you learn how uh, an actual strategy about how to tidy up, the behavior of actually tidying becomes super easy. You actually spend less time tidying and a lot less brainwaves in, in doing it. It's very hard to go through the whole Conmarie yeah. method, but quite simply, if you go through every single item in your house from the sock to the pen to the uh, the extension cord, whatever, if everything single thing's got a spot and you consciously give it a spot in your whole entire house and you, you got the packaging methods that she does, every time there's shit just lying around everywhere and you know where it goes, you just pick it up and put it where it goes. Easy. Previously, man, like... I just have shit lying around and I just stay lying around because I didn't know where it goes <laughs> and my house was a bit of a mess. Well, if you, yeah, if you're looking through that fog behavior model, the MAP, as you said, that ability, learning actually how to tidy uh, took your ability from a one to a, a nine or a 10, whatever you said, that normally tidying is just something that everybody just assumes you know how to do, but really we don't really learn how to tidy anything better than a three-year-old knows how to tidy. When the, the mum and dad says, hey, put your toys away, that's pretty much the extent of our ability to tidy. I guess uh, just to drop in this, it's just one of those, uh, I guess the shit that, that they never taught you, yeah? <laughs> it's just you know one of those things that nobody ever taught you how to do it. Well, that's... Uh, I don't think we've dropped the title there. We, we did not. We did a sneaky little no, one in Steve-O's... The episode with Steve Flavesky, we mentioned it as a the same sort of subtle. Well, I think for both of us, like after we're reading books, like there's a whole bunch of shit. Like, we're trying to work out the title was. I think we just said, well, I said to my mates, like, you know, the fucking shit they never taught you, like that shit where you you wish when you're 23 that they had it said to you and you had to read a book at 29 to realise. He goes, mate, is that your title? Like, oh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess it works. That's perfect. <laughs> Too good. But yeah, that's one of those things. Absolutely. Uh, so, mate, my uh, number one, which is your number two, uh, my number one uh, by quite a stretch was The Dip by Seth Godin. I must admit, we did this all the way back in season one. It's probably like episode 15 or 20 or something. I was a little bit scared to read this book again just because I thought maybe back in the day it was just so much better than it actually was but I was very glad that it it definitely held up these four or five years later that the dip by Seth Godin uh 80 page book really gives you some serious nuggets of gold in those 80 pages yeah extremely simple and effective framework like after you read this book who are we speaking to the other day is like I'm you know this is the dip or something Mm. or this is the debt they're choosing and when someone's read the book and used that verb, you know there's a whole book behind that sentence <laughs> and it makes a whole lot of sense because it, it comes down to like knowing what to choose or your project mm. selection, which I think is one of the hardest things to do by an absolute mile is like um, choosing a side hustle or your day job or anything like that, mm. whether to stick with it or to, to quit with it. Yeah, and exactly. This will help you with that. I had a... Um someone messaged as well on LinkedIn just saying, how do, you, how do I pick, you know, I want to do a podcast. I want to write a blog. I want to start an app. I want to do all these things. How do I pick which one to, to do? And the almost, the easiest thing is just say, hey, buy this book and read it <laughs> because yeah. it makes a hell of a lot of sense. Basically, if you can, uh, you've got the cul-de-sac, which is just flat forever, the dead end job that you work and work and work and nothing extra happens. Uh, you've got the cliff, which is basically you think you're on the right track, but all of a sudden it just drops off and goes down to zero. Or you've got the dip where at first there's a couple of easy wins. You start a podcast, you do your first episode, someone downloads it. There's all these wins at the start, but then there's that long slog where you make an episode every single week and nobody's listening and nothing's getting better uh, and it feels like it's shit house. 
But then at the very end, hey, you've made a 200 episodes of a podcast and a whole bunch of people start listening and you start to get the rewards of being one of the very few people that made it past the, the podcast graveyard of doing 10 episodes and giving up. Uh, so just pick, but realizing that dip is ahead of you, realizing that any project you take, you're going to go through a lot of shit, a lot of slogging where you work and work and work and no rewards are coming. But at mm. the very end, it might pay off. Yeah, a book to really assist you in the dip is the the War of Art by mm. Stephen Pressfield. I think good uh, combo, very good combo. <laughs> That's the shit they never taught you, mate. That's the it. dip followed by the We're Lincoln, the War of Art. We're Lincoln for our <laughs> book there. Um, but yeah, exactly. Because once you get through the dip, you get the benefits of scarcity. Worst thing you can do is just keep choosing dips and quitting in the middle of the dip, which I think we've both done uh, pre podcast. Mm. Right, and this podcast had every risk of being us doing a hundred episodes and then quitting, but now we're two hundred fifty episodes in. Man, we, I think you're underselling this. How many episodes have we done? Maybe three ten. Hey, let me. No shit. Yeah, somewhere around there. Three anyway, ten. Three ten. And you know we're getting the benefits of scarcity now. Like we dropped a few things to start. We're finishing our book. Got a, other things happening right now, and it's. Uh, yeah, uh, the project would never would have had any benefits if it wasn't for pushing through a dip. Yeah, and I think on it, I think probably part of that was just the two people. I think, uh, I guess all, both of us have probably had times along the journey where we thought, "Far out, this is too hard. We're working hard, nothing's happening. Let's give up." But the good news is that it never happened both at the same time. It never, both of us never wanted to quit at the same time. If one of us wanted to quit, the other one was still pretty keen, and vice versa. So I think it was good that we both had each other pushing us through and. And now it's sort of like, well, there's no looking back. We're already through the dip or, or at least towards the, the second half of the dip. So we may as well keep pushing through. Mm, 100%, man. So we've done our top 10s. You know what that means? Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? What's coming next? Teaser for Jan? No. Mate, who's that fucking bloke? <laughs> in Bali. I should oh, not remember. Mate, we can't. I don't know if I can say this. Mate, this is one. <laughs> Just, just temper down the okay. language. Did we do anything wrong or was it the dude? No, it was 100% the dude. Oh, well, then we can, it wasn't us. Oh, far out. Okay, Man, so this was, this was um, we'd gone to uh, Bali, we'd six months in, we'd thought, oh, far out, we've had 8,000 podcast downloads, we're kings, let's go to Bali and celebrate. Oh, I think I remember now. <laughs> we went to this dodgy motel, the Funky Monkey was what, yeah. like fucking 12 bucks, eight bucks a night bucks or something each. Well, and it was, well, mate, we're first year grads. There was, what, three bunks. In this dorm, I think I lost my shoes there, so I lost more than the value of the room. Well, what was your memory? What are you thinking? Are you thinking of the well, other some, We're trying to do like an episode of some bloke in the room or some shit. Well, there was oh well, the worst. Okay, that was one. There was a guy having a shower during the episode, but the worst. I don't even. Mate, we might have to cut this, but there was a dude. You woke up three a.m. There was a dude having a wank, <laughs> and also. Multiple actually, knuckles deep into his own butthole and then made eye contact with you and smiled. <laughs> Do we have to delete that? <laughs> are you, you told me the next day. And uh, and then we thought, okay, well, it's time to go from Bali to Lombok. <laughs> Mate, that's 100% legit. That was a weird dude. He was from Perth as well. And uh, so, shout out to anyone in Perth. Jesus but that Christ. seems like the type of thing that you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we move on to teasers for Jan? Let's move on. I shouldn't have fucking drawn that out. <laughs> that might be an offliner. Uh, anyway, so teasers for Jan. So, obviously, Jan, uh, exactly 12 months ago, last time you, you we put you on the spot and said, what do we call Jan? We've got July is juggernaut month. Jan is, what do we call it? And he said, launch month. So, this will be our second launch month. So this is, I guess, things that are personally relevant, uh, very specific types of things that you can do uh, to set you off on the right track, to launch you into 2021. Yeah, that's it, man. Like 2020, interesting year for everybody. 21, we're going to show you that, yeah, the best books will really launch you back uh, into, the, into the good shit. So we're going to kick it off with uh, an author we've never done before, John C. Maxwell, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. So leadership, I guess, is uh, something everybody aspires to, but it's also something everybody's capable of. Leadership isn't a title. It's not you're handed, someone tells you to be a leader. You just choose to be a leader. Another book we're going to do, I think it's been it's been recommended by a lot of people, right? Like The Courage to Be Disliked mm. by, I forget the name, Ishiro someone. A couple of someone. Japanese people. A couple yeah. of Japanese people. <laughs> Great authors. I actually read the book. <laughs> yeah. Slow start, I'm but it really started. ties together to be a 
probably a very good book. I think it's been the most recommended we've had for a long time. The last six months, we've had multiple, multiple emails from people saying, check out The Courage to Be Disliked. So it's time to check it out. We're also doing a couple of very specific, tangible uh, areas in which you can improve your life. So one is The 4-Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. So how do you lose weight, build muscle, get fitter. There's a section on improving your sex life. I don't know if we'll cover that or not. Uh, but he basically, it's a very simple way to, to improve your body. Yeah, load it up on that for three yeah. weeks. <laughs> three weeks and then go. And then the other one is uh, the total money makeover, so improving your personal finances. Uh, what are the types of things that you can do to set you off on the right track in 2021? And then finishing you off with the art of the start, most likely. Actually, that last one might change, but we'll work that out. Guy Kawasaki, one of the big dogs at Apple, talking about how can you start a, a business or how can you start anything really. So that's it. Very exciting year for 2021 loads of shit happening on what you will learn super excited i've got my book books ready really for the first half of the, <laughs> the next, season the next that's what we're plan. wrestling about <laughs> my my center of gravity is in one direction your center of gravity is in that direction full arm wrestled for a long time but i think what we landed on was the diversity between both of our center gravities is it's, is it's a good one right too good but yeah there's a hell of a lot of stuff uh happening in 2021 especially the first half of 2021 uh some awesome apps as we said that as we've been saying for the last 11 months the book's coming soon but this time the book is actually coming soon uh, so super exciting thanks to everybody who's been coming along for the ride so far and uh looking forward to a, an even bigger and better 2021